So this was congratulations, really, really congratulations. It was um, moving. I didn't see it. I thought I would see the film before um, before today, um, but I, I didn't manage to. There was a, a, a link thing, so I was experiencing it in real time with you guys as well at the same time. And obviously, you're sitting there going, "I hope I like it," you know. Otherwise, it's going to be a long Q and A. I really liked it. I really, really liked it. I think the performance is extraordinary. I thought the story was amazing. I loved the way you used the camera between all the... separated the relationships with the camera and then separating the music. It was, it was really, really deft. So, nuclear, nuclear reactor, nuclear family, splitting the atom, great name, great title. I Sort of... Uh, well, yeah, so starting with splitting the atom, where did, you know... What came first, Amelia's character or the nuclear reactor? The nuclear power station came first. Um, David and I were very... So, I mean, this, this is a film that actually kind of almost literally came out of the North Wales landscape mm-hmm. in the sense that we were very familiar with Charles Venice, um, just having passed it many times on the A470 up and down. And... Um, Every time we went past it, it was kind of, whoa, that is such an amazing place. So we'd always, it was part of our collective consciousness, as as it were. And then a number of other things came into play, which just seemed to come together around that nuclear power station. Um, One thing was, um, I just had an idea of a young girl in a swimming costume swimming through those nuclear ponds, and I just thought, I want to get that somewhere and then David had this idea um, I think between us we had an idea about um, parents who were abused by their own children mm-hmm. and that that was a story that you didn't often see so I think the idea of the, the brother having attacked his own mother and then the guilt and the shame I mean, we could have done that as a kind of social realist thing or we could have put it into this which I think is more of an allegory um, about it and then it was just what else came out? What 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 we had? What was else was in the mix? The Japanese lady. Oh, the Japanese lady. <laughs> How could the we Japanese forget? lady, of course. Um, yes, that was because um, I was talking to somebody who about about the idea just as it was developing, mm. and um, the nuclear thing. And he said, "Oh, have you heard about that thing that happened in Fukushima? Which is that um, just after." the uh, disaster in Fukushima, taxi drivers reported that they were picking up people who were wanting to go home and then it would, they would disappear out of their cars, their taxis, and they were ghosts. And this kind of actually ties in with certain Japanese beliefs. So it was... It was so did that you was feel like at one Japanese point you had, like, strands of different stories and then what would, bring, what would be the, the nuclear option, bring it all together... I suppose, was sort of having this relationship, I guess. Yeah. So then it becomes a story about separation Mm. and about, yes, not letting go. 
And then about the, the natural separation that happens when a child becomes a teenager and yes. has to separate from the parents. I so. found that really moving, the idea of sort of child, what children don't tell us, you know? <laughs> the idea that she goes off and has this sort of mad coming-of-age adventure with this beguiling young man. And you can see her falling in love at that moment in time and we can relate to those moments in our own lives and then you go home to mum and nothing happened, you know, and that's the privilege we have as an audience to sit there listening, watching a story where we get both sides of the story. And what a moment in time for, for, for you. I mean, this superstar that stands before us now. I mean, how many years ago was this? It was nearly two years ago we shot it, yeah. And you just captured it at such a moment in time where you sort of see this young girl becoming a young woman... I mean, it looks like you, but it sort of doesn't look like you at the same time. No, come on, stop it. Can we just say this was her first ever lead in a feature film? So I think it was a remarkable performance. You held the camera so well. You had our sympathy and empathy. We were with you all the way. Let's give you a round of applause. Really terrific. Really, really terrific. Since then, she's got movies coming out of her ears and a hit <laughs> Netflix show. Not a lie, isn't that right? Yeah. I think Mum's been dragged all around the, the world with her. Is that right, Mum? <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's not happy about it. <laughs> she loves it. She loves it. So how did this connection happen then? How did, did you... I sent a tape. OK, um... so you auditioned. You were looking for... An unknown to play this role, or you were looking. What, what were your What was your criteria? I think we didn't. Casting? We didn't care. Just as long as she was good, it wasn't that we had to discover someone. And mm-hmm. we saw a lot of girls. Mm-hmm. We saw a lot of girls, and it was finding. It was finding that that on the cusp thing that Amelia has, um, and it was that vulnerability, but also incredible strength. And I think that's she's so tough and she's so determined, and the, you know the way she manages all this on her own, and yet she's just so fragile. And Amelia has this ability just to psh, <laughs> she just cries. <laughs> if, if you say to her, "Right, cry now," she can, which is quite a thing. That's just the Welsh, though, isn't it? You know, <laughs> I'm just dramatic. Oh, I know. But she's just she was so so committed to the role and completely completely into it and. And, and worked so hard and never complained. And we kept on throwing water at her and making her run and shiver and just really put her through the mill. And she just was, she was amazing. She had that quality that you were looking for. Yeah. And was yeah. the script locked at that point? Or yeah. did, yeah. so yeah. it was locked, so you knew yeah. exactly the story you were telling. Yeah. And then the amazing Sienna Guillory. I how, know. How lucky were we? Super lucky. I was the lucky one. I know. It's amazing. I, I mean, how, I mean, obviously, mm. a big difference to giant <laughs> Hollywood movies, and uh, you know, you know, this is sort of back to your indie roots, sort of filmmaking. I know you've come back to it a lot through your career, but what was it about this scene? I, I, I think it's. I, I don't think I've ever been so moved reading a script. I just felt it was so extraordinarily. It was like it was like a dream that so, that you've had, mm-hmm. and somebody else is telling you it. <laughs> you know, you have that sort of. I had such a, in, a connection to it, and it made such sense on so many levels. You know, having lost a parent and um, having daughters and a brother, and 
you know, it just connected to me in so many ways that went very deep. Um, but I, I, working with Amelia and working with Catherine was, it wasn't work, it was beautiful. I was just every, I, every moment was, I felt very lucky to be there. And I still do. And all those themes of life, water, tree, green, new beginnings, big, great cinematic storytelling mm. themes that are in there. And I loved, I loved that. I loved how you really embrace them, you grasp the nettle in those themes, because a lot of the time when you're dealing with something that's elliptical, shall we say, <clears throat> that people kind of go, I don't want to explain too much because then I might not have the right answer. Mm. But you really kind of grasped it and went, no, this is about life and forgiveness and, and uh, threat and danger and food and all those things. But I think that really kind of propelled the story in that mm. way, or kept the, it, it held us in there throughout. Um, and I, and I really, really enjoyed that. And, and also, that's another thing about grasping the nettle, is you weren't afraid to push your genre chops as well, which I really liked. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm thinking, oh, there's a, there's a jump scare here, there's a horror, um, you know, there's a, there's a Cronenberg sort of flash where the, the lady in the back of the car, it felt like Lost Highway, or is it in bed in Lost Highway with that face, or yeah. Exorcist oh, with the uh, subway? Mm. Oh, I've spent yeah. years <laughs> watching all kinds of nonsense. No, but uh, no, but it's true. It's 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 all all in there that keeps us going. And and you know the um, you know we, the way you played behind the door with the the brother coming back. So going into that, was that something where was that always the case that you were, you were going to split those genres and do that and sort of embrace those horror and thriller moves, or were they sort of I think a I desire think to push the story. Maybe not consciously, but I think what we were, what particularly say with the brother, mm-hmm. I think what we were trying to look at again, it's almost like it's it's like in some ways like a very dark fairy story as well. So I think with the brother, we were trying to capture that idea of how terrifying it is to be terrorized by somebody. Yes. Um, in and how the it never goes away. It doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually then to turn that into something which is slightly more allegorical, if you like, and so turn it into more of a horror. But that idea of the fear of... Um, if David doesn't mind my saying, we, we do a lot of kind of... Um, most, taking things out of David's projects, life. Yeah, based on my <laughs> life, yeah. David had a very, very dark character in his childhood, a very frightening person in his childhood. Right. And it's just wanting to turn that into something cinematic and slightly more through the, through the eyes of a child when it becomes more monstrous, I think. So I think that's why it wasn't, it wasn't a cinematic decision, I don't think, in terms of sort of playing with genres, but I, I love the fact that you, you sort of can connect it with, with other film moments. I think it was more a question of, of telling this story in, a, in an almost fairy tale, a slightly inflated kind of... Way. Yes, well, that's what it felt like, a, a grim fairy tale, mm. and that you can have moments of horror and enlightenment and drama and mm. connection and love and loss throughout it. I mean, look at the biggest film on the planet right now is Parasite. And, mm. you know, try and put that in a, mm. a genre. You can't. Mm. It's just a great story <laughs> and it's so beautifully told and, you know, and, 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 and rightly so. Catherine was amazing to work with, um, obviously, you know, the script was so cohesive and it's so rare. I mean, this is the first time I've seen the film oh, wow. as well. 
Um, it's so, so rare that you see the film that was on the page. And it is an absolute, absolute testament to, to Catherine's ability as a director to be able to create that in that space that quickly with our, you know, limited resources and make it everything that we wanted it, you know, the, the story was cohesive at every point, you know, it was, this is too much, that's not enough. She absolutely knew exactly where the line was and it was tremendous working with, with you being that sure of, you know, mm -hmm. exactly where the parameters of, of each performance was. And this is your debut feature as a director, isn't it? It is. And I think, um, I mean, that's lovely to hear. I think actually David and I made this script really, really tight. And I think it's, it was, it's one of those things when you make a very low-budget film, you haven't got time to experiment. You haven't got time to do a bit of improvisation and just play around. You have to go, this has got to mm. work. And when you're under that much pressure, you have to know that you're absolutely 100% confident in the script. You're 100% confident about where your character is are supposed to be at any point. And if you know where the characters are supposed to be, then the actors can, can get hold of that, I think, oh. and, and then run with it and um, do all kinds of wonderful things that you can't do just in the on a script. And how was it going from... Because Catherine directed short, short films, was writing in long form, so you've written feature-length scripts mm. before, and then you wrote and directed short films, and then this is moving into the sort of uh, full feature. Was mm -hmm. that a, an easy move? Was that something you were growing into? Or um, <clears throat> I think actually making a feature is easier than making a short, because I think the, the long form is just so much more satisfying and you can play with things and I think a short is expected it's such a different thing it's just you're expected to just produce something it's like an advert or you know you're just expected to sell something so quickly so yeah it was um, really enjoyable it suits you yeah. it fits <laughs> yeah it does and, and going into this project for you Amelia what were you Nervous about anything going into this project? You're obviously you're thinking, I've seen all Sienna's films, I've seen her <laughs> yeah. kill half the world in Resident <laughs> Evil and, uh, you know, and Fortitude, the, the big show there. What, what were, you, were you nervous about it? Obviously, George Mackay's now saving yeah. the world in 1917. Love George. Everyone loves George. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, I wasn't nervous. I was just so excited because I read the script and I fell in love with it and I was so passionate about it. And also I'm half Welsh, so filming in Wales, I was, I was dying to do. I hadn't done it before, really. So, yeah, I kind of, I was more excited. And then I, I met Catherine before I got the part. And I just loved the way that she worked. And so I just, I just wanted to work together. And Catherine, actually, before we started filming, um, we worked together um, on building kind of Emma and how she feels. And um, we did this wallpaper uh, map of Emma's emotional journey in the film. So her highest, mo her highest moment of happiness, her lowest, her... What is that? Just having a stranger pierce your ear? That's probably the highest thing. <laughs> yeah. That's the best thing that happens to her. <laughs> yeah. But it's just so I didn't peak too early or yeah, so all yeah, the emotions. So, because obviously we didn't have a lot of time and things. How many so. days? 18. Great. Great. So yeah, I just meant that I could. So I wasn't nervous because Catherine really reassured me and... 
Yeah, that's the end of my side. But you so. had no reason to be nervous. You're just brilliant and <laughs> wonderful to work with. Just, just saying that for <laughs> No, no, not at all. No, you're fantastic. Now, um, just have a thing. We want to open the questions up to the audience. So if you have a question, please put your hand up. If you don't, we're going to keep chatting. Um, so if you're sitting on a question, sort of shoot your hand up. If not, we will uh, keep talking about this wonderful film and the process that comes out of it. Can I say something? Can I say that I know sometimes with Q&As, people don't, really, don't necessarily like to put their hand up in front of everyone, but we are going to adjourn to another place, I think. More Literally. <laughs> the bar. <laughs> the bar. Um, so if anybody wanted to come and talk to us afterwards, just privately, that's fine, if you don't want to put your hand up and then... Yeah. It's very presumptuous. Don't talk to me at all. No, I'm going to be in a corner. (laughs) No, absolutely. Everyone is available to it, but uh, don't be afraid. I'll just reiterate the question. But I want to talk about music, and I want to talk about monsters, Okay. Monsters. Monsters. So, first of all, music, your choice of music for this. Uh, When the score gets going, when, when you... When you know, like I say, in those isolated yeah, moments where the strings come in, it's very beautiful, yeah. and then it's very pared mm. back. Can you just yeah share um, that with me? Please? We used a lot of um, obviously. I mean, for those who don't know about the editing process, what you tend to do is you edit the film and then you use existing music as a temp score. So you find music that's going to work, but you're not going to use it in your film because somebody else has already used it, and even if you didn't mind that, you wouldn't be able to afford it. So we had. So we, with the editor, we were very, very clear about the kind of emotional things, and we wanted to have really strong emotional music at the right time, and mm. that had to be connected with um, Emma's loss. So it had to be a theme that was about this absolute loss of innocence, everything. Um, so the composer, who is amazing, um, just really wow. took hold of that and, and just... Um, and just said, oh, yes, I know, I know, I know, I've got, I've got this amazing viola player and I can do this. And so, um, Sorry, I'm having trouble with the connection. <laughs> <laughs> We've got the composer online now. <laughs> Even the phone has a question. You guys, come on. So, and then, I mean, so in fact, it's probably quite a lot of fun for him because he could do a whole range of things because he could yeah. do the get the really scary, scary stuff. And So it's you as storytellers telling us... Yeah. Yeah, and of course the sound. I mean, I'm really pleased with the sound, mm. um, which does an amazing job, um, and sort of ties in with the music as well. Because I thought there was going to be a No Country for Old Men moment here. Uh, like one of my f- favourite films is No Country for Old Men, but mm-hmm. I didn't. I only found out years after it was made that there was no score to that film. And you watch it and you think, Oh my gosh, there's mm. no score, but it's the soundscape of the film and the tension or whatever, and whatever's playing on in one's own mind when they watch it. So I thought there was moments of that where there was a musicality to the way you used the, the sound and the performances and then the silence, of course, you know, which, um, which, which was really beneficial. And, and then, as a storyteller, we were right in thinking when she's isolated, when she's alone, that's when you let the music tell us mm-hmm. that she is grieving mm. and that's when it's got its most beautiful, when it's at its most mm. frightening. Mm. Good film. Yeah. Hello, sir. I make a comment. Please do. Uh, Amelia, no matter what you do in front of the camera, the camera loves you. Oh, thank you. It doesn't matter, you know. 
really outstanding at once. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. That's <laughs> true. It's like that, uh, the, the thing about, isn't it, the, the, the conversation between Olivier and Anthony Hopkins when they did Bridge Too Far, and Anthony Hopkins said, uh, how do I become a great film actor? And Olivier says, you just have to learn how to relax in front of the camera. He said, well, how long does that take? He said, about 20 years, <laughs> you know? And I agree, I think there's something, there's a relaxation to Amelia's performance that is way above your years, that's sort of... It's just, you can't teach it. It's, it's settled, isn't it? And um, No, I agree with it. And, and it's an affinity the person has with the camera. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, you absolutely. You don't do anything that camera loves, loves you. Thank you, it's very kind. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, very also, I thing. think, because she's always thinking in, in a good way, I think she's always... Um, thinking about where her character is going and well, that's true. It's because that's what the camera loves. Yeah. The camera loves thought, thought, and activity, mm. and, and a searchingness behind the eyes, mm. isn't it? It's like a mm. swan, isn't mm. it? You know what I mean? With paddling in the water. Do we have another question before? A oh, gentleman over there. Uh, you were speaking earlier about uh, making sure that you were one hundred percent confident in your script and kind of really trusting it. How long did it take you to really hammer those kind of kinks out. There was so much conflict when you were kind of trying to get this so watertight that you had that confidence. I'm Would only repeating the question because they're recording this for their podcast. So the gentleman just asked the question about what did you have to do to the script? How long did that process take before you knew that your script was watertight and you'd ironed out all the kinks sort of in the writing process so it was locked to go into production? It's like having a baby, though I've never had one. And is it's you go through absolute hell, and then you forget it completely, and then you get on with the next one. So and you go, oh, it wasn't too bad. In fact, it was. We had a very specific time scale because it was in this project, um, and um, we just worked to the time scale, and it was really, it was really hard actually, because what, what was hard. Sorry? How, how was it hard? It was hard... Um, I think getting the balance right. Yeah, and also we r- like to write things that are convincing. We don't like to write anything that's got bullshit in it. So people yeah, watch from it. That, but that's your perspective, isn't yeah. it? So, but, so who, how, you, how do you know the bullshit is gone... And how do you know that you're... You know what I mean? That, that you find out the king? Um, I think it's... Yeah, you know, I think you just develop a an understanding for when it's gone. Between each other. Be- yeah, yeah, between each other. Yeah. And we've, I mean, we've worked together for quite a long time yeah, and we've seen time. a thousand yeah. million trillion films together yeah. and we know we can just go, no, don't believe it, or mm-hmm. yes, it works. I mean, in, in terms of time, it, was, it wasn't very long. It, no. was, it was less than a year. It was months. That's because there was a pressure. But it was awful. We just spent ages walking around the house going, oh, my God, why is this so difficult? Why is this so difficult? And now we're working on another one. We're going, why is this so difficult? Why is it so difficult? Because and it's it always difficult. Mm. Yes. And, and just to build on the idea of monsters, it's interesting you say that about... I don't want to ask yeah. you specifics about your past, but the idea of a lot of artists sort of recognise the monster or a monster within their work, and sometimes it's very, very, I think, uh, in the sort of Buddhist terminology, not that I'm a Buddhist, but the uh, Buddhist terminology is that the knowing of your shadows. And I think a lot of artists and storytellers embrace that sort of element of themselves. So is this a sort of, is it a cathartic thing in dealing with 
the monsters of your past in your work, or is it a, a process? Is it, or is it something you like to do creatively? That's why we work very well together because we're dark and light. <clears throat> I really bring the darkness, and and you bring the light and love. Mm. So between us, we create this. And I asked you earlier, what did you want out of night? And you said, love. Love, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. So well, it, yes, it is cathartic. Of course okay. it is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. I bet, because all these things go into the personal kitchen, the personal yeah. sort of uh, washing machine of creativity. Did that answer your question, by the way? Yes, thank you. Oh, good. Because I've been in the audience and, be- and people say things and they... He didn't even answer the <laughs> bloody question. Just went rambling on how great he is. <laughs> Can I say something? The other thing that has been mentioned is um, the landscape. Oh, yes. And the locations uh, are real. We know what we live in. But it made it even more real, the film. And also writing the script. You know, just one day we were in Traswanith Village... And someone said, have you seen the bridge? We went, no. And then we just went to the bridge and it's just... And it becomes a great sort of mm. centre point of your movie. What a metaphor in terms of transitioning from this life to the next. And it's true that transfer, uh, the, the power station had, was manned by one security guard at one point. Isn't that right? Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, I think it will be at one point in the future. I think that's the point. I think right now it's still got a lot of people in Hive's swarming all over it but then but the, it's there's huge loneliness there as well like the i mean the dam is extraordinary as well because again somebody said have you yeah, seen yeah. this dam we said what dam yeah we went and looked it went oh my god look at this look at this look at these shapes look at this it's so spooky so so spooky but i agree the landscape it's it's the well it's what we're celebrating in, with creative whales which mm. is the idea that there is so many options visually for North Wales yeah. to feature yeah. in in all kinds of stories. It's not mm. just castles and, you know, caves. It can be, you know, the, the options are anything from village to town to city to universities to coastal to, mm. you know, countries. The, the options are there and, and it's sort of, it's untapped. And I agree with you. I think anybody who isn't North Walesian seeing this film mm. will go... Where is that? But what I loved mm. about it is that it's a very much it's it's very much set here, but like Manchester by the Sea, mm. yeah. it's a place in itself and a place within the story that mm. you kind of go, oh, I I can buy into that landscape, and it reminds me of those sort of early Pavel Pavlovsky films, you know, like um, Last Resort and Summer of Love, and where you didn't have to know the place exactly, but it served the story perfectly. And I think that's what all our creativity should do, which is use what we've got and take it further. You know, our stories shouldn't be just, you know, um, they should be with an outward reach. So it's great. Do we have another question? Yes, sir. Can I just ask about the, the characters that we're aware of, but we, we don't really see them, the, the father clearly, but also George Mackay's friend, the climbing... Anton, the elusive Anton, Anton from the Ukraine. <laughs> What's your about? What, were they fairly... So tell us about the characters that aren't that we don't see in the film, like the father and Anton, the friend. 
Uh, I think we wanted the father because we wanted some kind of connection with the real world and a sense we didn't want it to be so horribly bleak that this poor girl is completely abandoned. And although he's obviously a useless father, as he says, oh, I might not be able to come over even though this has happened. We wanted some, you know, it's that idea of having some kind of anchor so it's not all just too bleak. And Anton... It's because um, the character of George Mackay was based on um, a climber called James Kingston. I don't know if anybody of you are familiar with him who climbs... Cranes. Cranes and what have you. And we watched a documentary with him and he was actually um, climbing in the Ukraine with somebody called uh, Mustang Wanted. (laughs) (laughs) He is crazy. Yeah, so that was just a bit of... It's real life and it's Mm. quite fun when you can when you can put some of those things in. And, and it sort of made sense that he would be there. It didn't actually make sense to be there all on his own. It made sense that he would be he climbing, he was waiting for somebody else yeah. to come. Which is why George Mackay then thought that he was dead, because he thought he had climbed something with and Anton and died. Off. And so he's going to be in limbo forever, waiting for Anton to come from the Ukraine. And then I think you and George decided there was going to be a sequel. Oh, yeah. In which, yeah. yeah. what happened in the sequel? To, well, we, <laughs> I mean, there were multiple sequels. You know, there were multiple stories. Yeah. But just that, yeah, we live a happy life. And, yeah, we find... And then, but then Anton turns up, I think. Yeah, I finally meet Anton. We all get reborn through yeah, David, yeah. who yeah. has to actually experience real childbirth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to happen sometime. Can you mention... The what? Well, how long have we got left on the car? <laughs> yes, David has just said, can we mention that Humphrey is here, the uh, designer who did an amazing job. There oh. he is, with palettes and almost bits of them. Yeah, it was like, what's, but Humphrey says, what's my budget? And we say £4.27, and he says, oh, OK, then. <laughs> and uh, puts it all together. Catherine told me about this possible farmer in Mid Wales, just outside Cardiff, and I wrecked it, etc. In the end, we got a lawyer to get the pallets, which are supposed to represent the under in the, the nuclear watery area bit. Got into London, and we got the tank at Primus Studios, and we lit, and we built bridges across, cloaked all the walls. So it gives the effect of something mysterious. But unless you know, in detail, what we've done, you would never know. So it's, it's getting what money you have and using it carefully. I say I've done about three or four Catherine's smaller films, so I know how she works. <laughs> well done as well. Bossily. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have another question here? Okay, I think this is us. But I just think I'm. I can't wait. To, can you? Is there anything you could tell us about what you're doing next, or is this? Is yeah. it tightly kept secret? Because I want to know what your next feature film. Well, we've got when some. We we've got it? some other scripts in our back pockets, as it were, which might happen first. But we're currently working on something which is a, which is a bit of a sci-fi thing about aliens and twins, um, set on the island of Lanzarote. <laughs> as you do. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bit more than four pound twenty for that budget. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that sounds fantastic. And you're working on the script now? Yeah, well, yeah. So, which is really, really hard. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it's harder than nuclear. <laughs> Anything to share, ladies? 
I just finished a film uh, called Coda in Massachusetts um, where I had to learn sign language for it, which was really, really fascinating um, and a challenge, but I, I like a challenge. So, yeah, I'm still learning it. I've continued. Um, I had to learn to fish too, which my granddad, my tide, was really happy about. His <laughs> <Is> granddad? <laughs> yeah. Where's granddad? Oh, you must be really proud. Oh, He's amazing. also shy. Ah, no, <laughs> I'm no. the only one in the family. <laughs> you got all the you got all the uh, all the show off. Here. Yeah, so that's going to be coming out hopefully soon. Oh, amazing! To film. Oh, congratulations! Thank you. And and what do you what would you like people's take home to be from this film, Catherine? Wow. Um, what is your director's? Message? That's a really hard question. Um, I want, I want people to think about it. I want people to play it again in their heads and think about it and think about what the different layers of it are. And we've also, when we've screened the film, uh, we've had feedback from people saying, I really need to see it again, which I think is a really good thing for a film. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Well, it makes me think that childhood is short... It makes me think that we are brave and vulnerable in equal measures. It also makes me feel, as a fellow filmmaker, that a story with the right support and the right creativity will happen and deserves to be told when it's told as passionately as this. I can't wait for your next feature film, Catherine. I think it's brilliant. I can't wait to see your next collaboration. Thank you for pointing your camera at North Wales. And at these lovelies. There we go. They're pulling focus to Carnarvon Castle. But um, I really applaud you for what you've done. It's a fab film. Everybody, please support this. Tell people, share, because independent film lives and dies with its audiences. And it's important, without an audience, then people don't allow these films to happen again. And if they don't happen, then they can't make another, and wouldn't that be a shame? So we are a network, we are a creative community, and the more we support each other, the more things we can make and get done. Ladies and gentlemen, the cast and crew of Nuclear.